Well, we know that BC has set up a $60 million back-to-school affordability fund. This is something that can be used for schools to expand meal programs, help out families who might not otherwise be able to pay for some school supplies or field trips. And joining us now to talk a bit more about this is Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside. Minister, thanks so much for making some time for us this morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how the money will make it to the families? Uh, I know with the, the $60 million, we have 60 school districts, the minimum yeah. amount, $250,000. When do you anticipate it will actually be at the districts and in the hands of families? Well, um, you know, it's, it's actually already rolling out there. The way that we distribute a fund like uh, such as this uh, is that we, we base it on the way we distribute the operating grant. Uh, to districts, but you know, as you noted, in with this fund, uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, all districts had enough to do uh, something substantive with. So we established a floor of uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So all districts will get a minimum of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That allows some of those smaller and more uh, more rural and remote districts to uh, uh, to have a good uh, a, a good amount. And really, this recognizes the extraordinary circumstances that families are facing right now, given the global inflation impacts. I had seen, though, the uh, the president of the BC uh, Confederation of Advisory Councils uh, was saying that families will be encouraged to reach out to the councils and to school principals to get a share of the funding. So will families specifically have to reach out and say, hey, we're having trouble with this, we need some of this money? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's not usually what families have to do, although we certainly do encourage families if they are, uh, if, if they, if they are having challenges to reach out and talk to their local uh, vice principal or principal at their school. That's generally how families sort of access some of the programs that already exist. But we know that um, school districts uh, are already um, providing meal programs, uh, food programs, programs where they are providing um, uh, school supplies to kids who, uh, who, who are in families that, that may, be, may be struggling. And that, that actually all, that already happened last weekend. Uh, the Abbotsford School District uh, was one of the districts that we had done some consultation with about how to set up this fund. So they knew that, um, uh, that, this, uh, that this money was coming. And they were able to, as part of the work they do every year, to provide uh, school supplies to, to families in need, they were able to add um, additional uh, families to the work that they were doing last weekend to provide uh, school supplies and clear their back their wait list of 300 families because they knew that this money was, was coming. And in fact, at the announcement in Burnaby, uh, school staff were there, parents and families were there, and kids left that announcement with backpacks full of school supplies getting ready for, for next week. All right. Uh, the One of part of the, the funding announcement that is getting a lot of attention as well is that in addition to the $60 million, the $3.8 million, so almost $4 million that's being provided to independent schools or, or private schools. So is that a scenario where parents who, who are choosing to go to schools where they're paying extra and paying for their kids to go should be qualifying for money that's helping people make ends meet? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the important point to focus on here is that we have families and kids who are in um, some pretty difficult circumstances, and that's really, the, that, that's really what, we're, uh, what we're trying to help with here with, the, with this fund. We have, uh, we have a, a structure uh, with regard to education in this province that um, provides for uh, funding of independent schools. That is longstanding. There's a formula written in legislation around, around how funding flows, and, and that, that's what we're abiding by. We're just we're, we're simply abiding by the um, what the what, what what the legislative structure and the and, and the structure um, in in education re- requires us to do. But I would note that 
you know, aside from the sort of the, the, the larger issue of independent schools, there's certainly independent schools are, uh, play, you know, they, they provide a range of different um, kinds of programming. And kids who are in those schools come from a range of different circumstances and may well come from families who are experiencing food insecurity and who are also struggling right now. Uh, even though these are schools where people are making the choice to pay tuition and to pay more? Yeah, I think that you, you, you find it, it, in independent schools, there are a range, families come from a range of different circumstances, just as they do in the public school system. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the return to school. Uh, in addition to this funding, uh, certainly there are a lot of questions as to what it's going to look like with air filtration, with COVID protocols mm-hmm. and such. Uh, do you think it would be helpful if BC adopted kind of what we're seeing in Ontario in that they've gotten rid of the five-day isolation period, uh, asking people, obviously, if you have symptoms and if you're sick, not to come into the school system. But would that be helpful as far as staffing and making sure that that schools are well staffed and people can still come to the site? Well, you know, I just to say at the outset that, of course, as as we have done since the beginning of the pandemic, we follow the the advice and direction of of public health. And so the current guidelines that kids are going back to uh, next uh, next week are this are that those the guidelines based on what uh, the uh, the BC CDC has advised, and they're very similar to what was in place at the end of the previous school year. Uh, you know, I, we think it's still very important for uh, for staff and students to make sure they're doing a daily health assessment and not coming to work if uh, um, if, if they're sick. Uh, that's really important for everybody, uh, and also very much encouraging families to look at vaccination options to, to try to get our, our vaccination rates, particularly for the five to eleven year olds, up. And I know boosters uh, boosters have just been made, made available for that group as well. You know, I, I'd say that we are still going to be very uh, be, be working with districts to pay very close attention to uh, to what's happening with um, uh, with, uh, with with the pandemic. Supporting districts, districts will continue to work with their local school medical health officers to really watch uh, w- watch what's happening. Uh, do you anticipate or is there conver- are there conversations taking place, though, as far as a lot of people are referring to this kind of as the most normal we've been going back into the school year in a few years now? Um, are there plans, though, as far as what happens in the fall with COVID rates and that, that there could even be conversations about going back to remote learning or, or changing things, having that kind of disruption? Well, I, I don't have any indication. I've not been advised by public health that they see any of those that need for those kind of extraordinary measures on the horizon. Uh, again, we have to we have to understand the pandemic is still with us, and we need to take our you know take measures to uh, uh, you know to make sure we stay home when we're sick and all, all of those things I, I talked about, and that they that we hear from our, our public health officials um, uh, with response to, with regard to how, how to how to deal with the particular phase of the pandemic that we're that we're in. But you know, we worked so hard and frontline staff everyone in our system worked so hard to keep kids connected to in-person learning. That was such a, a fundamental, uh, of such fundamental importance and um, a huge, a huge task over the past couple of years. And we, uh, that, that's what we want to make sure we continue to do is keep, uh, keep kids in, in schools, in structured environments where they have all of the supports that they, that they need. And Minister, one other question, and I guess on a positive note, we're seeing what looks to be some positive ground with the BCGEU and negotiations with the province. But we also know that teachers are in that position where they too have talked about the possibility of job action should things not go well at the negotiating table. What do you tell parents at this point who are concerned that we might see job action disrupt the school year? 
Well, I, you know, it, it looks looks to me like the the uh, the, the parties uh, in, in education will be back at the table. I'm talking in uh, late bit later in September. That's that's always good when, uh, when when the parties are talking. We'll see how things unfold. But uh, I mean, I, I think I think certainly for the uh, for the you know for the return to school, things are think things are looking good. And I, uh, I you know we'll 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 wait to see what uh, what comes out of the process later in September. All right, Minister Whiteside. Thanks so much again for making time for us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. That is Jennifer Whiteside, BC's Education Minister.